Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to the Two Shades of Blue podcast. Again, on another crazy episode today, we're going to talk a little bit about boxing, some ACC basketball, some football, all type of sports. But uh, my name is Royal Howell. My co-host is Terrence Hatchett. And we have two special guests today that's going to rep the 336-919. I'm going to jump right into it. T, go ahead and introduce your boys, man. Yeah, I got two of my fellow Aggies to join today talking about some boxing. My boy, BT, from the Ville, located in the borough. My boy Vince Drop Top Holman and the 919 Raleigh. So we're going to go right into the sport of boxing, fellas. So the lightweight division, I'll describe this division like this. This division is the hottest thing in boxing. If I could compare it to something culture-wise, this is, division is like the silhouette challenge, man. Division hot, man. See the silhouette challenge, all your timeline. You see the lightweight division, all the boxing. So let's just go right into it. We got four guys all vying to be the unified champions division. We got Tank Davis, Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney, Ciafimo Lopez. BC, I'll start with you first, and then Vince, you can jump in. What do you think is going to happen with this division in 2021? Man, this division probably the hottest division in the boxing right now, bruh. Not even going to cap, man. So many great fighters, like you said. I think the first fight we need to get probably probably Ryan Garcia and Tank. That's the fight I want to see. If we can get that fight or Ryan Garcia and Devin Haney, that would be another good fight too. But I think Ryan Garcia and Tank need to fight each other. They've been promoting that joint on Twitter. Garcia been running his mouth on ESPN all day. Like I seen him like two weeks ago talking to Matt Kellerman. So he gonna not tank out in two rounds. That was which I think one, is, man. I think is crazy. I mean, yeah. I definitely want to see that fight. Um, Ryan Garcia versus Tank. Like you said, Garcia been calling for this fight for the last year. You know, he beat Luke Campbell, which was a viable opponent. Somebody who fought Lomachenko. Um, somebody who you know them been in the rounds at lightweight. You know, not the mouth. I was pretty impressed with how he handled that fight with Luke Campbell. Um, you know, he showed adversity. You know, he got knocked out, I think, was second round or something like that. Got back up. You know, he continued to fight. He regained his composure. And he really just, well, what impressed me the most, of course, is his versatility, being able to put his power, put his shots together. He got a real nice combination and stuff like that. And I, under, I underestimate his power. He got, he got a little pop in his punch, too. So I definitely want to see him a tank bang, you know, but I definitely have Tank in, in the fight if that was to happen. I think Tank with the skill set that he has and the and the power that he has, I think I think he'll get Garcia out of there. Yeah, I think so too, man. Another fight, man. I think I want to see Tiafimo versus the winner of that fight. Yeah. Be honest with you, man. Either that that'd or Tiafimo and Haney fight. I think yeah. that'd be an interesting yeah. fight too. Yeah. That's interesting that you bring that up because Recently, you know, all the boxers, they go back and forth on Twitter, Instagram, basically any kind of social media that's going to get their voice across. And you had Tank, who came up front and said that, hey, I sparred all these cats besides Ryan Garcia. And he's, basically he was stating that he's touched them all up, where basically he said that Devin Haney couldn't touch him. Um, as far as Lopez, I think he said he sparred him, but that might have been a while ago. 
um, he hasn't really had a chance to get in a ring with Garcia or anything at all. Um, I think a lot of people, they're looking at the height of Garcia. He's 5'10", five, 5'11", five, and Devin Haney's what, 5'5 five, five and a half. And I think that when they see the height, they're automatically thinking like, okay, Garcia has the height, has the speed, has a little pop in his punch. He has the fan base. He's like Instagram troll, quote unquote, but he's also like the ladies love him. Um, the Mexican community, they always come out and support their type of fighters. And I think that they, you know, they see that name, the big name Garcia, they're thinking that he, he's going there and just like Garcia says, beat him within two rounds, which I think is blasphemous. Um, when you see Tank, you see his height, you just all thinking, oh, it's going to be easy. When you, when you get in that ring and you get popped one time, like Mike always said, everybody got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And if he gets hit by a punch from Tank, like he got caught by Campbell on his jawline, it's night-night. Like it's, and I right. think the big thing that everybody keeps undermissing Tank is they just seeing that, okay, he hasn't really fought nobody, which is BS. Because the last couple of fighters he fought, you know, besides Gamboa, who were undefeated in Santa, uh, Santa Cruz, he knocked them out. He did what he said he was going to do. And I think the m- most important thing is, like his trainer said, that, hey, a focused tank is a dangerous tank. When tank is focused in the gym, off of social media, leaving the crazy girls alone, when he's committed to boxing, that boy is, like, in my opinion, arguably pound for pound, one of the best boxers in the sport. Man. And I think and that, I, yeah. yeah, not to cut you out. And I still think he got another level or two to reach in the sport. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, feel, I don't feel like we've seen the best of tank yet. At all, like seeing yeah. little bits and pieces of what he can do, like the fight with Leo Santa Cruz, you got to see Javante, you know, skills as a boxer. You yeah. know, like how he was able to use his jab to his advantage, how he was able to, you know, use his defense against Santa Cruz. He walked him down. Yeah, he how he's able to set up the uppercut. You know, the yep. knockout punch. Textbook, swift uppercut. Like Roy, you were not boxing cool. for yeah. years. Yep, we work on that all the time that was textbook boxing and yeah. like um like one of y'all said like you know he got knocked down by Campbell in the second round imagine if that was a Tank Davis punch like it's good night yeah it's a good night it's good night man so, Ryan Garcia better be careful what he asked for now Haney and Lopez were talking trash to each other yesterday I think that would be an interesting fight too um yeah it would be I'm going to go with Tio, man. Tio is hot right now. He did beat Lomachenko, who was ESPN's pound-for-pound pound number one fighter until that fight. I disagree with that, but can't deny that Lomachenko's talent, like, and he's still lurking in his division, too. So that's five guys in this division that legit be champions right now. And don't discount the fact that Shakur Stevenson can move up into this division and challenge right, him. Right, that's another one. I was gonna bring, I was gonna bring that up too. Yeah. I was gonna bring him up, man, because he is ready, though. He wants all the smoke, yeah. and I rock with that, man. Yeah. He wants every bit of smoke out there. He'll I remember, I remember, I was next. telling UT, I was telling UT, I think it was like his third or fourth fight, because he been fighting on ESPN pretty much his career. I, I think it was back in 2017 or 2018. I was like, yeah, this is Chris Stevenson guy. He's a star in the making. Yeah, he definitely is. And speaking of, so, you know, every year, you know, we have new fighters emerge. Who do you think is going to be the person in boxing that will elevate their profile um, this year? You know, we just mentioned Chris Stevenson. Edgar Berlanga is another person that um, could rise up. What do you guys think? Who could be a rising star this year in boxing? Man, I, I really like. Yeah. Vince already said it. Vince already said that, man. I'm going to go with, um, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but the Japanese guy. He only had one fight in the U.S. And he was on ESPN. 
He went to work on that guy. I forgot how to pronounce his name. We Is he on that power, two, power list? Yeah, he's on the power list. He knew it. He knew it. He knew it. There you go. Him. Yeah. He knew it. There you go. He knew it. 20 and 0, 17 boy. knockouts. 20 and 0, 17 knockouts. Yep. And he got hands. He's quick. He can jab. He can move. He got good defense. He's somebody I think if he's going to get the fight, he can make some noise this year, man. I'm going to go off the, off the rim with that one. Yeah, I feel the same with Shakur. The biggest thing is like him getting the fights. Like, I, you know, ready to be at 130, 135. If he gets the, the, the marquee fights, yeah, I think Shakur could really like Because he's right at the brink of superstardom. You get the big fights, that's going to put him over the top. I think he's going to really like prove, prove not only himself. I mean, he already believes in himself highly, but prove to the rest of the boxing world that he definitely belongs at that big stage. I'm going to go with uh, Edgar Berlanga, man. Uh, we just watched Caleb Plant fight yesterday. Berlanga was on Twitter this morning talking trash, saying he wants Caleb Plant. If that fight happens and Berlanga's power translates to a better comp, because Berlanga hasn't even been out of the first round in all his fights. Like, he's knocked everybody out in the first round. He has unbelievable power, but he's fought trash cans, basically. Um, you know, Caleb Plant is definitely a huge step up in competition. If he can hold his own – and possibly win that fight or draw, he'll definitely have his profile. Um, possibly somebody that could potentially face Canelo Alvarez down the road. And speaking of Canelo, um, guys, who do you think is the pound for pound champion in boxing? Oh, definitely Canelo. Not even close. Yeah, to not me, even it's close. not even close. It's not even close, man. Canelo, man. I, I said this last night on Twitter. I felt the best, the best thing that happened for Canelo is losing to Floyd. And not just losing to Floyd, but if you want to call it like it is, Floyd gave that boy a complete boxing level, you know, a complete boxing level, how to run a sport, man. If you look since that fight, Canelo has looked like a totally different person, man, when it comes to his training, his whole his whole arsenal, man. He's showing everything. It's his last fight specifically where he's literally in the ring walking the opponent down, not care about getting hit. Half the time a guy throwing the jab and left hook, and Canelo was just like just – dodging, missing, ducking and dodging the punches, man. Like, the kid's walking the cats down. He's in the best shape of his life. And he's not scared to throw the hands either. He's getting in there. He's throwing the hands. He's knocking these cats out. He's getting the decisions. And right now, I mean, it's kind of hard to make a, make an argument against him being the pound-for-pound champion. Like, last night, they said that Caleb Plant is ready for him. In my opinion, Caleb Plant was getting hit by some right hands last night. If that Canelo right hand yeah. came on the button, it's over with, man. Like it's, I was telling T, I was like – off of his stance alone, because he keep his left hand down, yep. Canelo will catch him. Yep. Off of stance alone. Yep. I mean, I seen I that last night too. Man. I don't give a damn what ESPN says. They didn't have Bud Crawford number one. We know Canelo Alvarez is the pound pound champ. He's done it in the welterweight division, the uh, light middleweight, 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 super middleweight, light heavyweight, even light heavyweight. Man, like Canelo dominates the sport of boxing. Like Foley Bailey dominates TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Yep. He is the and biggest we, star we all know, you know we all know top rank is biased too, man, when it comes to this pound for pound rating, man. You know they love their fighters. So they of course they're gonna put blood crapper, but the real no. Right. Like, we know. Yep. Like, you know, Arrow talking about moving up to fight Canelo at middleweight, that would be a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. I like I like Arrow, but yeah, I love Arrow, man. But yeah, it's yeah. Arrow's my favorite boxer right now, bro, but he ain't ready, he ain't ready for that smoke right now. Yeah. At all, he needs easily another another year, two years. I mean, I know he just this is his first, you know his first fight after the accident or whatnot, but 
even if you fought Canelo in a catch weight, man, I, I'm just not comfortable just as of yet. Just because Canelo's a different breed, man. He he's a different breed. And you know, we know Styles make fights, and Triple G always gave him a run for his money. But I think that Triple G has a type of fighting style where you're just like, he's going in there ready to throw the hands. He's not care about getting hit. Just like I thought that if Earl Spence and Bud couldn't fight, I think that a good matchup for Bud would be Sean Porter, just because Sean Porter's a pit bull. He get in that ring, mm-hmm. he don't care about getting dropped. Like you see the kind of matchup that Sean Porter yeah. gets. Like that's the that's probably one of the toughest like if Terrence Crawford can't get the fight against um Earl Spence, I want to see him mess it up with Sean Porter. Yeah, yeah. Sean Porter is a fighter who was battle tested. I mean, he was a, he he been a two time welterweight champion. Been he had the IBF welterweight title and the WBC welterweight title as a recent as you know 2019. And then he's a guy. I mean, let's let's face it. He gave Earl Spence his toughest fight. He's uh, for his money, and he yeah. wants to smoke too. So I like I like that'll be a good fight for me too, man. Porter yeah. versus Crocker, we can't get that one. In the Welterweight division, I can definitely see um, Sean Porter fighting Bud Crawford and then Errol fighting uh, Ugas, I think, who got the belt now because they took it from Pacquiao. Um, so I think Errol's going to try to unify the belt. So we're going to get uh, Bud Crawford versus uh, Sean Porter. Like you said, that was a – I had that fight even through 10 until Errol knocked him down the 11. Yeah. yeah. That fight could have went either way. Okay. I love it. Yeah, the way, man. Crawford – um, matches up um, versus Sean Porter. And here's the thing about Crawford. We all know the man is skilled, but does he have the will? See, the arrow proved against Porter that he had the will. He took them shots, toe for toe, and eventually was able to knock him down. I want to see what happened if Sean uh, – blood, not my fault. Bud Crawford um, go against Sean Porter. I, I really man, we, were, we really want to see him get tested in the welterweight division. I don't feel like Bud Crawford, he's been tested yet at 147. He hasn't been tested. He fought Kel Brook. A beat up Kell Brook, man. Like yeah. Yeah. Earl went on, to bro. Earl went to England and beat the brakes. He he broke his eye socket in England. Right. Exactly. That fight broke Kell Brook. Now you good? That fight broke Kell Brook than me, man. Cause he went yeah. to his hometown in front of hostile environment, man. Yeah. man. He took that man, took that man heart from him, bro. Man, like, the only people, the only people that were team Earl Spence was Earl's entourage in that in that in that arena. Yeah. It was number exactly. 15,000 Sheffield, England, Kell Brook fans. Mm-hmm. Even the walk to the ring for Earl Spence, I was like, damn. Yeah. Like, you heard the booze yeah. and everything. That's and the walk heard. that man in his own hometown in the ring. Yeah. And knock that man out like he did. And it was a tough fight. Kell Brook, you know, for earlier the rounds, he bought the fight to Spence. But Spence's power started to show up later in the rounds. He broke him down. Like, Spence is excellent yeah. with the body shots. Like he's asking and breaking down his fighters, and he broke down Kell Brook in the later rounds of that fight to set up that knockout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. So speaking of London and England, the heavyweight division, um, we know what's going to happen this year. We're going to get Joshua versus Fury, fellas. What are your predictions of that fight? I'm gonna let y'all start this one off, man. Go ahead, Ben. Uh. Oh, no. I feel like it's, it, it can kind of be 50-50. Like, both fighters have their skill sets, <laughs> but um, I don't know. Something in me tell, is telling me to go with Fury in this fight. Number one, mm-hmm. I feel like he fought a little bit more tougher competition than Joshua. Um, I mean, the man was undisputed heavyweight champ at one point before all the cocaine stuff went down. He had to take a two-year yeah. you know, layoff. He knocked out Klitschko. He beat Klitschko. And Klitschko was reigning supreme at heavyweight for what over 10 years? Yeah. 
Yep. And then I just like Fury's like style of boxing, like how he's able to like really like bang with his opponents and you know his skill set, his footwork and everything, just the whole package. I feel like maybe a little too much with Joshua. You know, we've seen what happened with him when he got in there with Wilder. And he was able to take all of all of what Wilder was able to give him, especially in the first fight. I mean, how he got up out the canvas up that second not not down. I mean, I don't even know how he got after first the old countdown, but man. yeah, <laughs> I don't know how he did that either. Oh no, man, it had to be cocaine, bro. That's the only thing I could think. Yeah. <laughs> I think his defense, his um, theory's defense is definitely underestimated, man. Right. Um, it, for a guy to be that yeah. size, you know, be as big as he is, as size as he is, to move his feet, his footwork is just his footwork is just his, like unconventional, man. Yeah, his footwork just, is impeccable, man. Yeah, yeah, it really is, man. I mean, like he's dodging punches, he can duck. I mean, it's just he moves out the way. He knows how yeah, the way he duck and dodge. Yeah, he does like the Lomachenko where he'd do like the side stance and then he carry his head all the way backwards. So when you're swinging, he's using yeah. your own body weight against yourself. And when he does that, that's when the uppercut, the body blow comes right to the middle of your chest, man. It's I mean. Yeah, you look at Wilder, you look at the second fight, you know, Fury Wilder. He had Wilder punching there for a minute, man. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Yeah, he, did. Yeah. he did. And one thing about uh, Anthony Joshua, I don't know if he didn't take Ruiz seriously, but when Ruiz applied pressure, we saw Joshua fold. Right. So imagine if that was Tyson Fury, who is a bigger, stronger dude than Ruiz. Longer reach. And, yeah, like you said, longer reach. Yeah, like, reach. I agree, Vince. I'm going to take Fury. I don't like Fury, but I mean, I think he's the slightly better fighter. I'm gonna take uh, Tyson Fury over Joshua. This, this is my opinion on the fight, man. You know, I'm gonna use a different analogy. I'm gonna use my LSU Tigers as an analogy because we see Fury like all happy and celebrating in this and the third. You see LSU, that's my squad, but Coach Cho got fat and happy. So I wonder if Fury gonna have that same motivation, man, to come out and want to take Joshua out. That's my biggest thing with him. If he come out motivated. Then I think he'd take Joshua, man. Because I think Joshua was motivated after that Ruiz fight. Yeah. And they got him back in the gym and got him grounded, like, okay, I gotta come to work. So if Fury can not be fat and happy and come out all guns blazing, I think Fury will win it. And just for the audience, BT um, is a huge LSU fan and Vince is a huge Alabama fan. So Yeah, man. <laughs> we both we both was able to get jokes off on each other. Me this year and he and my boy last year. We both, yeah, you know, guy, we... been able to celebrate national championships, so it's all good. It's all love, man. Respect each other's teams and everything else like that. So I tell him in a heartbeat, they got he got some dogs over there. Right, go Tigers, though. <laughs> yeah, roll tide, though. All right, fellas. So what we're about to do now is we're about to play a game. Um, as y'all know, the stock market was crazy this week. The hedge fund bitches were crying. The regular people like us, some of us came up, some of us didn't, but hey, that's the game that we play the stock market. So we're going to buy ourselves some stock in sports. So Vince, you're a big college football guy, so I'm going to start with you first. Are you going to buy or sell UNC as a threat to Clemson in the ACC next year? Trevor Lawrence is gone, ETN is gone. What do you think about that? I like I like UNC man. I like what they did this year. I think this year was a huge step up for them. You know, being able to play in the New Year's Six Bowl game, um, the talent that they have. You know, Matt Brown is like he's bringing he's bringing a winning culture to the Carolinas. You know, definitely. So, 
it'll be interesting to see like what's to come from between UNC and Clemson. You can't sleep on the Clemson the freshman quarterback. I mean, the game that you know they had against Notre Dame when Trevor Lawrence was out because of COVID. I mean, the freshman ball, you know, he put up some real good numbers. So my 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 thing is seeing how he develops this offseason. This will be the first full offseason, you know, the players get to have to really sharpen their game. The spring game will probably come back. So that'll be that'll be big. Spring practice, summer, summer count, fall count. But I really do like UNC to be a threat to count Clemson. It'll be interesting to see, because we did still they running back coach on Gillespie. He's he's part of the road tie coaching staff now as our running backs coach. So but other than that though, I think I definitely think UNC could make some noise for sure this upcoming season. Now they believe they can they can get it done. Some five BT. What do you feel about that? You buying or selling UNC's? Oh, I'm buying, man. Look, last year UNC defense they played all freshmen and sophomores. Them boys got a lot of experience, man. They gonna come back hungry and don't sleep on their cornerback Tony Grimes. Yeah, Grimes. That boy can like yeah. that boy can like down one half of that field. So I'm buying. Then you got Sam Howell. You got um Josh Downs as the receiver. The receivers is gonna be nice. My only biggest concern with them is running back. They got a running back from Tennessee, a transfer from Tennessee. So he's pretty nice. But I think I'm buying, man. I think Sam Howell going to try to prove that he can really do it his junior season. He's going to try to come run that Heisman and make some noise, man. Because we all know this is probably his last year. So I'm buying. Yeah, they got to think about it. You know, I got I to see how Clemson comes into this season. Because, you know, they got knocked out of the playoffs the last two seasons. National Championship game, the season before against LSU, you know, BT's Tigers. And then they got they got blitzed by by uh Ohio State in these um semifinals this year. So, what's the psyche gonna be like? Yep, Can they come back from two straight playoff losses? Yeah, and for the audience, for those who don't know, Royals an Ohio State fan, so I know he enjoyed that whooping the Dabo. <laughs> Anytime Dabo Sweeney moves, I'm happy because I do not like Dabo Sweeney at all. And we can get into that in a whole other pod and a whole other day. Let's fuck Dabo Sweeney over here. And speaking of Royal, so Royal, Duke thrashed Clemson yesterday. Big win. Are you going to buy or sell Duke's chances of making the NCAA tournament after what you saw yesterday? Um, Yesterday was definitely confidence. I'm going to buy it right now. Um, just for the fact that Coach K has been playing his bench a lot more the last two games against veteran-led teams. Um, we're 2-0 and during that stretch. Um, him implementing um, the seven-footer uh, Mark Williams, who's seven-foot um, – has a seven-five wingspan. Um, he's completely changed the dynamic of the Duke offense, um, specifically allowing uh, Matthew Hurts to play his natural position, which is a stretch four. Um, the lane isn't as clogged as normal. Um, and also, we're getting production from some of our bench players. Um, Jeremy Roach, who came off the bench today, had 12 points, uh, three assists, three rebounds. Um, he was four for seven from the field, shot two for five, um, two for five from downtown. And also, just we have um, you know five players in double figures. Um, but the emergence and a healthy Jalen Johnson has completely changed Duke as having that go-to score that we need in pivotal moments. Um, he has the ability to run the floor uh, 94 feet, um, pushing the ball in transition. Um, he could play one through five if needed be. Um, if he plays a five position, of course, he'd be undersized. But it's the fact that getting out in transition, initiating offense, um, he has the dynamic that he can just completely turn his Duke program around. Right now, I like what I've seen. Um, like I said, it was against Clemson and against um, Georgia Tech, who just beat um, 
Florida State. Florida State. Yeah, Florida State. Florida State. Ooh, top two in the ACC. So, I mean, those are two big wins against veteran-led squads. So we still got work to do. I don't want to get too, com- you know, too comfortable, too compliant. I want to see the boys still hustle, play defense. It all starts on the defense end. If the two, if Duke gets out in guards, um, we'll be a problem. Um, they played with a bunch of grit and tenacity yesterday, which I like seeing. And they fed off their coach, who's a Hall of Famer. Um, he wants to bring it, play in, play out. So they keep playing where they're playing. Um, I got high hopes for Duke making the tournament. But you know, it's still work to done. It's still work needed to be done. So don't get too comfortable yet. All right. So uh, Vince and BT, this next question is for y'all. Um, you want to see they're in the tournament. They're at Cincy, according to Joe Nardi. Are you buying or selling that they are off the bubble, or they still have a lot of work to do? Man, we still got a lot of work to do, man. And it starts on Saturday. We all know what the game is on next Saturday. We all know because we got two bad L's, man. That Virginia Tech loss <laughs> and that state loss, man, was just horrible, bro. So we can't afford no L's right now, to be honest with you. And no disrespect to your team role, but Duke is like, what, six and five now? That would be considered a bad L, even though it's a rivalry, man. So I'm 50-50 on them, man. They, they, they still on the bubble to me. They yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah, I'm 50-50 on them right now. But I do like – how Caleb Love is playing, you know, as of late. Um, then I like what Kerwin Walton brings to the team, too. I like that War Williams is starting him, giving him quality minutes. He's a guy who can shoot the ball, play some decent defense and things like that. So, and then I like, you know, R.J. Davis coming out the bench, giving us a good spark. And I do like that Anthony Harris is back. He brings a lot of good, great energy, you know, guy who can push the ball up and down the floor. Things like that. So y'all front court is like, the difference, man. You like yeah. Y'all front court, you got three or four bigs, and you got Baycock, who you can make an arguable. I mean, arguably, he's the most improved player in ACC this year. You had conversations about him competing for minutes this season. In my opinion, he's been UNC's most consistent player in the paint, man. Almost I average double double. The boys bringing it play in, play out. He's his motor is almost like this. Dayron Sharp. We all know the freshman. His motor is just unmatched. But it's almost like Baycott saw that energy from him make someone to step his game up to the next level. And by doing that, he's averaging almost a double-double. He's starting. He's been arguably UNC's most consistent and most dominant player, man. I agree. He has been, without question, man. The last three games, 21-10, 21-10, 17, yeah. 17-8, and I think. Yeah. Like, the boy has been beasting, man. I think Baycott, we all talked in the preseason, like, yo, is he going to start? Like, exactly. what kind of motor does this kid got? And I think Sharp coming in yep. pushed him to another level, man, because yep. the boy is balling. So we definitely need that. And like Ben said, man, Caleb Love, these last two or three games, he turned that corner. Mm-hmm. So I think with him, it was just confidence, man. I think his confidence right. is up now. So I think we'll be fine. And then Anthony Harris, that's my guy, man. He brings the energy and tenacity that you need and plays defense. He'll pick you up 94 feet. And mm-hmm. I love by him, man. So – like I said, I'm still 50-50, man, but I think we can make some noise if we get to, to the tournament. I always say the best time to play your best basketball is right now. You're entering into February, the heart of ACC play, heading into March Madness. Time is now, so we definitely got to see what happens. All right, all right. So this next question is pretty much for everybody. Um, so last night, Celtics played the Lakers. Kimball Walker, one for 12. Coming off an injury, LaMelo Ball, 27 points, nine assists, five rebounds. 
are you buying or selling? Because hindsight's 2020. Are you buying or selling that the Hornets made the right decision letting Kimball Walker go based on what you've seen happen in the last couple of years and how things played out? Roy, you want to address that? Uh, it's a slippery slope, man. I'll say this. I'll say this. Um, I felt like Kimball Walker was unappreciated in Charlotte, and I only say that due to the fact that when it came to bringing in talent um, and keeping talent, specifically I think three or four years ago when they had Courtney Lee, Jeremy Lin, um, they had a nice, formidable spot, uh, squad. And I think that's the same year they might have lost to, I think, the – It was Miami and Seven. Miami and Seven, due to the Purple, purple Shirt, shirt guy, guy, which man. we know how purple that – um, But it's all about keeping that core together. You look at some of the uh, – you look at some of the, the teams that make deep playoff runs in basketball. You got to have a bench first off. You got to have a center. Not necessarily a center, a center is going to give you 20 or 10, but somebody that can give you some type of production in the middle. Um, with the Hornets – um, getting LaMelo Ball has completely changed the landscape of Charlotte basketball. It's completely. My only concern is once his rookie contract is up, um, has the, the Hornets done enough to keep him by making um, several playoff runs, which right now I think they sit in the A spot. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you want to have some type, some type of production while he's been here and while he's still playing in the Hornets uniform. Because to keep LaMelo, I think that you need to make a couple playoff runs. You need to surround him with some more talent. And he has to be started, man. Um, he's averaging, what, like 25 minutes a game, almost a triple-double. He flirts with a triple-double with the more minutes you give him. Um, I think it's pivotal that he needs to be breaking that starting lineup soon. It's abysmal for Malik Monk to have a bunch of DNPs on his name um, due to him not being even inserted into the lineups due to Borrega having an ego trip and a personality issue. Um, you just don't throw your star player under the bus in LaMelo Ball talking about his defense when he brings that so much, he brings so much on the offensive end. When he's on the floor, the Hornets are must watch TV. Let's just call it like it is. And when he's off the floor, you're wondering, like, you know, who's going to get the ball in transition? Who's going to find the open guy? LaMelo Ball and Malik Monk are like a match made in heaven, man. And we saw again last night against a formidable Eastern Conference threat in the Milwaukee Bucks that when LaMelo Ball's on the floor, the Hornets are must watch TV. You do any and everything to keep him in Charlotte. Even that means getting rid of Borrego. Yep. Nah, Fast. yeah. Fast. Yeah. LaMelo Ball and Monk, Malik Monk, <clears throat> I feel like they're the two spark plugs for the Hornets. Them on the floor together, I mean, it's like a lightning bolt, man. And then you got Devontae Graham once he start hitting shots. And then, you know, Miles Bridges in his play. Hornets can be a very exciting team, a very dangerous team. You seen it last night. I got one name to affect the way the mellow plays, man. Look at Miles Bridges. This man catching alleys from there on half court now yeah. with Melo out there. Like, his mm-hmm. game has went to the next level yep. with Melo, man. So, you got to do anything and everything in your power to keep Melo, man. And I was confident when we first drafted him, but with these comments with Borrega, man, I'm just like, bro, what is you doing? Like, are you trying to run away your best player, the best player we got in North Carolina and Charlotte right now? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me about his comments, man. But like T said, man, how excited is 2020? I get why they let Kimba go. At first, I was mad. I was pissed. That was my guy. But, I mean, with Kimba struggling and the injuries catching up to him, at the end of the day, it was the right decision. But it was just hard, man, seeing Kimba go like that. But you got to keep Melo Ball around. Yeah, man. I'm going to say something real quick, man. I've been meaning to say this for a while. We talked about this in the podcast before. I think it was our first podcast I said I was going to get to Malik Monk. And now that he's back in the rotation – uh, he had a good game versus Indiana. He had 18 points uh, yesterday. 
in 23 minutes. Um, Borrego tried to say it's conditioning, but I honestly think that Borrego was trying to prove a point just because Malik got suspended last year. Unfortunately, he was playing his best ball when he got his suspension. But you can't keep a guy that can literally just drop 20 just like that on the bench for long, especially you need a, a scorer in the second unit with LaMelo. Because Miles Bridges is a good player, but he's not a natural scorer. Having Malik Monk, a natural scorer, and another person that can create offense, pass the ball well, is good in pick and roll, can space the floor, that's what's going to make LaMelo ball even better. And um, with Terry Rogier's angle spray, I mean, LaMelo's going to have a chance to start, and I honestly think that is not going to give up that start spot back. So somebody's going to the bench. Either Terry's going to the bench or Graham's going to the bench. And quite honestly, right now, It'll probably be Graham because Terry's been better than Graham this year. I mean, Graham has played some games well, but he's just been very inconsistent with shooting. And somebody's going to the bench. If Muscle Bell gets in the starting lineup, he's not going back to the bench. It'll be bad PR. You already see Kendrick Perkins talking about why is Lamelo on the bench. You got a lot of people in the media saying why is Lamelo still on the bench. Once he gets in the starting lineup, he is not going back. So somebody else is going to the bench. And also, you got to find a way to get Malik Monk more minutes. Like, he needs to play at least 25 minutes a game. He's just a natural scorer, and he's very explosive, and you got to find ways to get him in the rotation more. So Stop playing the Martin twins. Right. That's the yep. way right there. <laughs> Leave them boys on the bench, man. No disrespect yeah. to them, but come on, man. We all know Monk and the Martin twins. Like, it's not even a comparison. Yeah, at all, man. It's, it's, it's kind of just like – you watch this sometimes and you think, like, what is the coach doing? Like, you have that much talent on the bench. I mean, to give so much criticism to LaMelo Ball's defense, guess who leads the team in steals? LaMelo Ball. Like, LaMelo Ball. I mean, I mean, I mean it, it speaks for itself, man. I mean, you sit here and you make these public statements and then you expect not to get any type of criticism back from it when you have your lottery pick, number three overall pick, sitting in the bench. Like, that's unheard of. Like, you're trying to fight for the playoffs. You know, I think the season schedule has been reduced to, what, 72 games? I think this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's just like, you know, when he's in the starting lineup, how do you take him back out of the starting lineup when he's producing and you get getting wins? Now you're back in the AC. You get Malik Minutes, who should have been playing all to begin with. Um, You had him out due to COVID reasons, which I understand that. But when he's healthy, he's testing negative. And he's not, he's getting DNPs beside his name for not even getting any playing time. And then you see what he did last night. Lamella Ball is the type of player that pushes the ball in transition. He's a fast court type player. As soon as he gets the rebound, he's throwing the air parent pass to someone like almost like LeBron James. Like as soon as the ball comes off the rim, eyes ahead, Jason Kidd pass. Like it's just it's just like that. He wants to get the offense initiated. And that's a jump start to this offense that desperately needed, especially to the poor player Devontae Graham, who is shooting what like 27 percent on the year. I mean, I think it increased over the last couple games, but he's getting 34 minutes a game. 34 minutes a game compared as 10 more minutes over Lamelo Ball. Yeah, Lamelo Ball almost. He he flirts with a triple double almost every time he's in the ball game, man, which is crazy. Every game, every game. I'm glad you are defense because there's not really anybody on this team that plays good defense. You might have a couple average defenders on defense, but no other team plays good defense. Mm -hmm. The Hornets need a rim protector bad. Yeah. They need rim protection. Yeah. And now, whether they do it through trade or the draft, that's something that's going to have to be addressed. 
this team could possibly make the playoffs. I feel like that lack of protection might keep them out of the playoffs this year. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but they definitely need rim protection because nobody on this team is really a great defender. I'm glad you said that because Mel Ball leads his team in steals. Yeah. If there's a trade that you can that you can make, if you use Jordan right now to bring a, a potential solid type of center figure in Charlotte, who would it be? It's going to have to be one of those guards. Um, you know, we have three guards that are six three and smaller. One of them's got to go. Eventually, one of them's going to have to go. Uh, you can't have a lineup. I think it was a lineup I saw in the first half where it was Graham, Rozier before he got injured, and Monk. 6'1", 6'1", 6'3". That doesn't work in the NBA. Two can work. It works for Portland with Lillard and McCollum, but you can't have three on mm-hmm. the court. One of them's going to have to go. Now, I mean, the ball's not going nowhere. You just you're paying Gordon Hayward thirty million dollars a year, who I was very critical on before the season, but hey, he's been he's been playing his ass off, man. So Gordon's not going nowhere, ball's not going nowhere. Do you get rid of Taylor Rosier, who is arguably one of the Hornets' best players this year, or do you get? I'll, rid of I'll say this: Rozier might not be Trey Bate this year, but mm-hmm. next year on the last year, next year there will be a contender, plus a backup point guard like Rozier that will trade for him on an expiring deal. Those are the type of contracts. That team's desire, but Zeller's an expiring contract too, right? Who else is expiring contract this year? Uh, I believe Monk will be a free agent after this year too. Yeah, Monk's a free agent. Um, Rosier next year. I, I think, think Graham, Graham probably Graham got two extension, but I don't know if he's going to be a free agent. He might be. A yeah, I think. Yeah, I think Graham got two more years. But yeah, y'all right. Yeah, those are expiring contracts. Yeah, man, that's coming up. All right. So last question by ourselves. Um, on the Quick Blitz podcast on Friday, um, this topic came up, and I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on it. Um, Sheena, Bashai, and um, a couple of guys from Panthers Twitter brought up a great topic. Do you guys think that the way that the Panthers have treated their great players in the past, Steve Smith, Joyce Peppers when he left the first time, you know, eventually he came back. Greg Olson, he was not happy how he left. Charlotte and obviously Cam Newton. And keep this in mind, Deshaun Watson and Cam Newton are very tight. Very tight. I'm pretty sure Deshaun, when Carolina's brought up, he's going to talk to Cam like, hey, what's up with uh Rule? What's up with Tepper? Um, you know, like they're really tight. Like, is that going to be a factor in determining if Deshaun Watson comes to the Panthers or not? And also keep this in mind, um, People talk about New York. Why would you want to go to New York? Why would you want to go to Chicago or the 49ers? Let's keep this in mind. New York is good for business. Chicago is the third biggest market in the country. It's good for business for the NFL. And San Francisco is in Silicon Bay, which is the tech capital of the United States. It'd be good for business. So, of course, the media is going to push to try to get the Sean Watson those markets. And let's just be real. Charlotte is not a free agent destination or a hot trade destination. So what do you guys think? Do you think the way that the Panthers have treated their former grace in the past is going to haunt them with this Deshaun Watson situation? BT, I'll let you go first. It doesn't help them at all, man. Like, we all seen what happened. Like, the whole Smitty situation, bro, for I think we had, well, get them at the time. Yeah. Just to release, not talking to the man, just straight release them. Didn't even ask for his opinion or anything, man. He had to find out through the media that he got released. 
that's to one of your best players of all time in Panthers history. And then with Cam, don't even get me started with how Tepper handled Cam last year. I remember one interview, Tepper was like, um, I'm not a doctor. I can't speak on Cam's injuries right now. Um, we're not going to talk about Cam Newton. And then just to release him through a text message or via it was social text. media. Yeah, it was a text message. It was a text message. You don't got the dignity to call this man. Like, hey, Cam, man, look, we're going in a different direction. Wish you the best of luck. I think Cam would have handled it a little bit better if it was a phone call. Like, you, you're a grown man. Communicate, man. So it doesn't help that cause at all, bro. I'll step in real quick, BC. Cam Newton elevated the Panthers' profile to places it had never been. It made us relevant. Because even when we had Jake DeLong with the Super Bowl, it was a nice story for that year. And then the very next year, we went right back to being irrelevant as far <laughs> as the national media landscape goes. Charlotte does not get the respect from the national media that other markets do until Cam Newton came in. As soon as Cam Newton came in as a rookie, he elevated the profile of this franchise. And then so we was on Sports Center. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was also going to say, like, every year that he was in, we were relevant. You know, we had a lot more Sunday night football games, Monday night football games. We did make the playoffs three years in a row. And then the fourth year, uh, we lost to the Saints, where Devin Funches lost the ball in the goddamn lights. How the fuck do you not find the ball? Don't get me started. <laughs> Don't get me started on Funches, man. And then you've got, oh, yeah, Caleb Cam- fucking, you got Caleb fucking Clay, who had a ball right in his hands. Right here, and dropped it. Like, and think about think about the receivers Camus had to damn throw the ball to, bro. Like you mentioned, Kalen Clay. Who is he? Kevin Benjamin. <laughs> Kevin Benjamin. Overweight Kevin Benjamin at that. Who? I mean, Britton Magaberson. Philly Brown. Like, where do you do with that now, man? I don't think no of this player. Demir, I think he's still playing, but still, he's not a star receiver. Yeah, Demir Bird's at with all. the Patriots. Yeah, with the Patriots. Yeah. But other than Bird, who else is still playing right now? That's who Cam I was mean, playing with. Tag, right? tag his best receiver, the Bears, but he got weighed by the Bears. Yeah, man. His best receiver was his tight end. Yeah, Greg Olson. His whole time at Carolina. Yep. yep. And his second best, you could argue, you know, the couple years. Yeah, Smitty for a couple years, but really – Outside of Smith, you could argue that the second best receiver he had was Ted Ginn. Right. As far as production. Yeah. Even though Ted Ginn, Ted Ginn had dropped two or three balls in between. Lord knows he was infamous for that. <laughs> Having to make a big play, then drop another big one. I'm like, bro. So I used to hate that. <laughs> I'm going to say this, man, because it's been, it's been a – Bunch of craze just going around Twitter lately due to, you know, the free agency market, everything, blockbuster trades happening before the Super Bowl, which is the Sunday coming up. Um, I think one thing to mention is um, one of the beat writers in Houston, um, name is John McClain, who's been writing for the Houston Chronicle for like 45 years. Um, he tweeted this this morning, and it, it makes sense, but it's kind of scary almost because before the whole trade went down with Matt Stafford yesterday going to the L.A. Rams, um, I always said that the Panthers – would have to give up an arm and leg to get Deshaun Watson and Charlotte, which is, in my opinion, I think is going to happen. Um, there's been a bunch of debate about should CMC stay in Charlotte? Should he be on the trade market also? And um, John McClain, who writes for the Houston Chronicle, also, he, he said this, which makes a lot of sense. The Rams and Lions trades will have nothing to do with Watson trade if the Texans do it. They'll vote two number ones, two number twos, and two defensive starters at the least. 
Watson, 25 on the contract, great team leader, great QB, beloved by fans. Um, this is this, this is how I think is you know what's going to happen. And I think in order for the Panthers to get Deshaun Watson to Charlotte, um, I always said it'd be at least three number ones, but I'm kind of not backpedaling a little bit, but I think that if you give up CMC, that you give up two number ones. Um, a lot of Panther fans don't want to give up CMC, which I understand completely. Like a lot of people are saying he's off the table. Like don't even think about it. But I think that if you're getting Sean Watson, who's a top five QB in the league, 25 under contract, you do what you can to get to Sean Watson in town. Um, I still think the same issues are going to um, revolve around having a formable offensive line. Like that's where it all boils down to. If you don't have an offensive line to protect Deshaun Watson, he's going to be in the same damn situation he was in Charlotte that he was in Houston. You got to have somebody to protect him. Just like a year makes a difference between Aaron Rodgers last year when his offensive line was just straight awful. And this year he had one of the best offensive lines in football. One, one, you know, one game away from the Super Bowl. Like it all matters around building your offensive line, which is, which, which that's like the bread and butter of your, of your offense, the O-line. That's who protects your QB. And I think getting Deshaun Watson to Charlotte, like you said, it has a lot to do with the way they treated Smitty, the way they treated Cam, the way they treated Olsen, um, the way they treated my cousin and family, Ted. Again, like I got a lot of stories. A lot of times I don't mention stuff, but I know so much that I just don't, I don't like, you know, trying to, you know, be clickbait, but I'm calling like it is like, they have a history of not treating – your argument may be, hey, that was under new management, the same management that treated some of the workers like slaves and wanted to kiss their feet and et cetera, et cetera. Like, I can keep going on and on and on about it. You want to have that type of foundation when you treat your players right way, no matter where no, – no, like, no matter who's behind realm. And you have to build that type of foundation, that type of trust, that type of chemistry where you bring this player in who, you know, has a home in Clemson, um, who played at Clemson, won a national champion – who is real, real tight with Cam. And it's always good just to have that good foundation, that good chemistry where you can trust the owner to make the right decisions at the end of the day. Like, if you're going to bring me in here, make sure that I'm surrounded around good talent. You had a couple thousand-yard receivers. You had a thousand-yard running back that wasn't even named Christian McCaffrey, who I believe is a free agent, if I'm not mistaken, that yeah, like, yeah. like they have weapons around to build in Charlotte. So if you bring him in, Make sure that you treat him right because, you know, he did sign a big contract last year with Houston, just like CMC signed in Charlotte. So if you bring him in, make sure that you treat him right, treat him with the dignity and respect, and let him know that, hey, whatever happened before we came and took over for the Panthers organization is not going to happen while you're here in Charlotte. That's not going to happen. We're going to treat you with the dignity and respect, and whatever you need, we're going to commit to building this franchise, not for another rebuilding year, but a championship contender. You have the weapons there. You have a solid defense. But do what you have to do to get him in Charlotte. If that means giving up too much, you may have to do it. But in my opinion, I wouldn't touch CMC if I could. If they're going to give you two number twos, two number ones, and maybe Chin, which I wouldn't touch either, or um, like Chin, I, I think Chin should be off the books also. But if you want to get Deshaun Watson, if you want Watson, you got to get. If you want Deshaun Watson, you want to give up somebody. I know you want to keep your you want to keep your, your defense solidified. But if you bring Deshaun Watson in here, you got to make a decision. Are you going to give up Chin? Are you going to give up CMC? Are you going to give up Burns? Like somebody got to get somebody got to go because they want two young defense starters. That's what Brian is saying from Houston. They want two young defense starters. So what you going to do? You going to give up CMC? You going to give up Chin? Burns? Like who, who's going to Houston to make to bring Deshaun Watson and Charlotte? Who are you who are you going to give away? It's a really tough decision. This is a business. It's a business, man. Yeah. It's a business. What you going to do? Yeah, and to add it to yeah. what you're saying, hey, Warrior, business, it's man. like. You know, the running backs, you know, it's 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 a, it's a very slippery slope. You know, running backs, 
they got like a short lease in, in, in terms of like the NFL, like they, you know, durability and stuff. And, you know, CMC is coming off a major injury and stuff like that. So it's like now looking at the table, it's like, why you still have value with CMC? Hmm, do you make that move and put him in a trade bait for Deshaun Watson? Because let's face it, Deshaun Watson is a generational quarterback like Cam. When we got him in, in 2011 NFL draft, it's like those quarterbacks don't come around every day. So it's like you have an opportunity to get them. You got to try to, like, you know, use your marbles to get them. And then it's like you said, you know, how they treat their star players. I mean, even down to even now. I mean, I'd say in a heartbeat, I wasn't a fan of them getting Teddy Bridgewater. But, I mean, they got them. They do sit $3 million for three years on them. And now it's like they wouldn't – like, he's suspendable now, even to where Matt Rule has a couple of times put him under the bus. And I'm like – Hey, you made that bed. You got to lie in it, dog. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, there's no way Teddy Bridgewater can come back to this team. After the way right. Denver and Matt no Rule talking about him. And at the end of the day, you can argue if it's Joe Brady's guy, Matt Rule's guy. Y'all signed off on the deal. Matt Rule had to sign off on the deal, and eventually Tepper had to sign off on the deal. And so you knew what you were getting. Throwing, but... mm-hmm. Now y'all throwing him under the bus. There's no way he can come back. All right, BT, you go ahead, bro. My fault. Nah, so you knew what you was getting with Teddy, man. We all know, like, Teddy's highest touchdown passes per season was 14 touchdown passes, man. So you knew you was getting the guy that checks the ball down. Like, you knew what you was getting when you signed this man for three years, $60 million, $63 million. So now once he performs, what's the level he always performs at? He's consistent. He's going to give you a good completion percentage, but touchdowns going to be low. He's going to check the ball down. Now you want to throw him under the bus. Like, you, I wasn't a big fan of the Teddy Thompson either. But like Ben said, man, you made that bed, what you going to do? You going to throw him under the bus because he is who he is? So and then a year another, one at that. Without I'm CMC? Yeah. Without CMC, exactly. Who gets, so what, like hard. 70% of the offensive touches? Like, it's like unheard of, man. He's getting like, yeah. literally, if you look at the you look at the times he got the ball last year, man, I think he led the NFL in, I think, uh, running back carries, uh, catches out the backfield. Like, he literally was like the number one threat for the Panthers last year. And I said before this season, I said that the Panthers had to find a way to utilize the surrounding talent because if you keep giving him the ball, he's going to get hurt. What happens? What happens right. the first couple of damn games of the season, he gets hurt. I literally called it before it happened. It didn't, it didn't take a rocket science to figure it out. Look, me and T was even saying that it was like they running CMC to the ground. Yeah, you just like the Cowboys did like their last five running backs. Are you kidding me? It, it's, it's a business. Running back life, the running back shelf life in the NFL is like, Downhill, like we we know what it is, man. The, the, the icing on the wall. I mean, it's 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 crazy, man. Like it's you have this generational talent, but it's almost like you're getting to ship them out. You make like you said, you lay your bed, make it. Like you signed your boy Teddy B to a three year, sixty three million dollar contract. I mean, it's that's crazy, bro. Like Teddy yeah. B Charlotte, he can't come out to Charlotte, man. His man, you, he's I mean, a we got, we got the man making twenty mil, twenty mil a year. <laughs> That's like think about that. We already throw him under the bus and get rid of him because you Just know think he about that season. You pay him that much money a year. How many wins he had this season? Four, four, four. I mean, I'm calling like it is, man. But the Panther fans don't want to hear. They they don't want to hear it, bro. Like it's like nah, like I said, and, and I made this mistake on Twitter. I said I said this, and I won't say all Panther fans, but trust me, there were a lot of Panther fans. That like the Teddy B sign off on. Definitely. Now they backtrack it. 
It was and, and like I understand, majority of Panther fans didn't like it. Like majority don't majority Panther fans did not like that sign at all. I will admit that front and center. But there were a lot of them. Yeah, all bright to the world. Your David Newtons, Panther Panther culture. Like, don't get me started, man. The article was out there on Twitter. Name, bro. And, 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 and you want to know something funny? Now they go back to deleting their stuff. Like the stuff that yeah. it's not out there. Trust me, we've seen the articles, bro. They have huge yeah. followings on Twitter, bro. There's like, definitely a pocket. Like, definitely a pocket of fans that supported the sign. Indeed, I want to say it was the majority. Yeah, but definitely was a pocket, a very loud pocket. It was that. a pocket. So yeah, yeah. Um, and I ain't gonna mention Brent's name. You already mentioned his name right here, but he was definitely one of the ones that was definitely up there with the Teddy Prisma sign, man. But now he's backing off of it. I'm like, bro, you was just all hype with Teddy B last year. Exactly. Like, we got the we got the receipts, bro. Don't make me put yeah, it. They all up. they all over Twitter, but they be deleting stuff. Like we yep. can't find it. Like it's all over. Yeah. I call I exactly. call some criticism rightfully, so I call some criticism about it because. I used my word choice wrong. I shouldn't have said all Panther fans, but there were, I say, I won't say, I say probably like maybe 25% that I saw. Yeah, I call them, I call them four F-150 Panthers fans. Hey, hey, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but fellas. Like I, I knew it too. Yep. I'm sorry, BT, but we are running out of time. Um, real quick. BC Vince, predictions on Duke, UNC, and the Super Bowl. BC, you start off. Oh, UNC and Duke, you got to know who I'm rolling with, man. It's not even a question. I'm taking UNC. I think it's going to be a close game because Duke is sitting there scribe now. So I think it's going to be somewhere between, like, 75 to 70. All right, and the Super Bowl? Yeah. For the Super Bowl? For the Super Bowl, I'm going with the Chiefs, man. I think it's going to be a close game, but I'll go with the Chiefs, 3128. All right, Vince. I go with same as BT. I'm UNC, so you know, I ride the die with them, win, lose a draw. I do think the front court's gonna play a big big role in the um Duke UNC game. Which front front court shows up better? You know, Mon needed need another big game for Mono Baycott. You know, need Davon Shot to do what he do, Garrison Brooks to do what he do, and then you know. That'll carry on to the back court. I think if our front court is strong in the game, I think we have a good shot of beating Duke. And then for the Super Bowl, it's tricky, man. Like Tom Brady going for Super Bowl ring number seven. So, but at the same time, I mean, the Chiefs are they they super talented. So I want to go with Mahomes, but you know the NFL. Hmm. Would they let? That Brady, you know, walk out with, with seven Super Bowl titles and, you know, he retires on top, like, uh, how, like how they did Peyton years ago. We got his second ring. Hmm. But my mindset, my mind's saying Mahomes, but my heart kind of want to go with Tom Brady. All right. Well, this is Two Shades of Blue. Um, Vince Beachy, we appreciate you for coming on. And speaking of the Super Bowl, we will have – a full preview of Duke, UNC, and the Super Bowl coming out in the next three or four days. Definitely by Thursday, we will definitely have that episode out. The strictly Duke, UNC talk and Super Bowl talk. Um, make sure y'all check that out. Um, BC, appreciate you coming on. Vince, appreciate you coming on. Thank y'all. Really got any on. last words? Thank y'all. Oh yeah, Aggie Pride. I got to show my jacket off. Oh, oh one last thing. We doing a giveaway for a UNC hoodie. Um, this Tuesday after the UNC Clemson game, I believe, um, 
the right fan that predicts the score, you will win a UNC hoodie, UNC Nike hoodie that I will be purchasing on behalf of the Two Shades of Blue podcast. So just tweet us your predictions for the game on Tuesday night. Uh, once again, um, the game is at, I think, Clemson, USC Clemson game. Um, tweet us a prediction of your scores. Um, the closest person that gets the score correct um, will win a UNC Nike hoodie on behalf of Two Shades of Blue. That's it, man.